Mark chapter 7, and today we're going to talk about the power of a praying parent. I hope you guys don't mind. I don't know. You guys ever seen that program called Shark Tank? Any of you guys ever watched that? One time I was watching it, and uh, there was these guys that came up to offer, uh, I guess they're involved in some type of business where what they do, this is kind of funny, is they provide you the opportunity to get into a huge tractor and just have fun moving all the levers. And uh, I guess you get that tractor and you can actually move the lever and you can dig it into the ground and move the earth, you know? And it was kind of funny because they were saying it's kind of like when the kids are little, you know how they have the Tonka trucks? And so now it's for the big boys, man. And, you know, you get to go and move the levers and and move the earth. And I don't know, it's kind of funny. It was kind of cool, actually. And so when I saw that, when when I... just saw the way that you could move the lever to move the earth, I thought about how that prayer moves the hand that moves the world. You know, when we pray, and I don't know if you guys know this or not, but man, God moves in response to your prayers. Sometimes you do not have because you do not ask. That's what the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 2. And so this morning's study is all about a mom who prays passionately for her daughter. And so I would like to emphasize the role of a praying parent, but even if you don't have children, today's teaching is relevant to all of us because, you know, God calls us all to pray, to that role of praying as an intercessor for others, whether it be our children, maybe our spouse, our future spouse, extended family, friends, even our enemies, Jesus said, we are called to pray for them. We have a very real and radical responsibility to call upon Almighty God and His intervening ability to move the hearts and even the world that we live in. You know, when I think of prayer, and I don't know how you guys are doing in this area, because I have a feeling that a lot of the church is not praying the way that we should. You know, they say that if you can get your church praying, then everything will change. And I know some of you have been, and maybe some of you have been falling short in this area. Let me just emphasize to you how critical this this calling is uh, to pray. You know, you just gotta you just gotta give give it some time. You know, I, I was talking to someone the other day, and they're like, "Well, how do you start?" And I just said, "Give God time." Just say, okay, Lord, here's a half an hour. Okay, Lord, here's an hour. Whatever it might be, just give God time. And you go and you spend it with him. And you knew how to cultivate that heart where next thing you know, you're praying without ceasing. A lot of people, they make it complicated because when they came out of religion, it was a meaningless mantra. Or it was a habit without heart. There was no relationship involved with prayer. But I always try to tell people, you know, prayer is, is so simple. Think about the privilege and the honor that we have to talk to God. You know, I, I think of three areas of prayer. I think, number one, of just uh, uh, of telling him thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And you can think of a million things that you can thank him for. What that is, worship. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I, I thank you for what you've done, whether it be the cross or the sun that's shining today, my heart that's beating. There's so much that we can thank him for. And so that's one area of prayer. Another prayer, area of prayer is this, I'm sorry. And you begin to confess your sins to God. You have to be in touch with the ways that we fall short. 
And you have to understand that there will be no progression without confession. And you begin to get rid of the sins in your life. Thank you, Lord. I worship you for who you are and what you've done and what you're doing. And Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Lord, forgive me because I don't want anything to get in the way of my relationship with you. And then the third thing after just thank you and I'm sorry is help. Help, Lord. I need your help. My family needs your help. I can't do this without you. When you ask for help from God for yourself, that's called supplication. But when you ask for help on behalf of others, that's called intercession. And that's what this mom does as she comes to Jesus, we're going to see in our text today, and she intercedes for her daughter. It's been said that intercessory prayer is simply loving our neighbor on our knees. Can you think of anyone you need to pray for? how important it is to practice intercessory prayer as a parent. You know, how, how many of you here have children, just out of curiosity? And it doesn't matter how young they are or how old they are, you're still praying for them, huh? I mean, if you have children, let me just say that they should be right there at the top of your list. Other than living the life, I can't think of anything more important in life than our responsibility to pray for our family. But I wonder if parents are really praying the way they should. You know, here in Mark 7, we're going to see one of the most amazing teachings. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, saved it for us because he wanted to teach us a lesson on the power of a praying parent. And so let's look at Mark 7, beginning in verse 24. It says, from there he, Jesus, arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs and she answered and said to him yes lord yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs and then he said to her for this saying go your way the demon has gone out of your daughter and when she had come to her house she found the demon gone out and her daughter is now resting, lying on the bed. This morning, let's look at four distinct elements woven within this passage that can help us understand the power of a praying parent. First of all, let's look at the people in this parent's prayer, because I think as we do, we're going to see this was no easy situation. Begin, first of all, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're taking notes, you might want to jot down the fact that Matthew 15, 21 through 28 is the parallel passage, and, and we're going to turn there in just a bit to get the, the full picture. But here we see that Jesus arose from Capernaum, which is where he was ministering prior to this, and he travels to the coastlands of Phoenicia, to Tyre and Sidon, which really is a journey probably about close to 60 miles. As he arrives, he enters a house, the Bible says, where he wanted no one 
to know it. Now, the interesting thing, literally in the Greek, it says he did not want not one person to know it. And so, you know, you wonder, well, why not? And some say, well, he wanted to distance himself from the religious leaders. Others say he just wanted to spend time alone with the 12. We're not sure. Maybe he was just tired after such a long journey, right? And so we see the people in the parents' prayer beginning, number one, the Lord Jesus. Number two is the disciples. They're part of this whole thing as well. Now, we read about the disciples over in Matthew 15 in verse 23. It says his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. And so, you know, the disciples are there. All they want to do is get rid of her. They're concerned only about themselves, not her. So they think about it. They tell the Lord, send her away. And so when you begin to look at this picture right here, it's not pretty in regards to the hope of her request being answered. You kind of immediately begin to realize that this will not be a simple solution when you look at the people who are part of this, and I guess the context of where it comes from, Jesus wants to be alone, the disciples want her to go away, and then, and then there's the daughter. You know, we read here in verse 25 that she has an unclean spirit. And we read in verse 26 that that spirit is identified as a demon. In Matthew 15, verse 23, we read that she is severely demon-possessed. You know, and for us, you know, just as a quick side note, our, our children, maybe they're not possessed. Um, maybe you think your two-year-old is, but don't think that, okay? <laughs> um, but surely they are tempted by the devil and his demons. Surely they are oppressed by spirits who are under the influence of Satan himself. Remember this as parents. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6, verse 12, as we're praying, uh, we're wrestling. And it's not against our children. It's not against the, the boyfriend or whatever, that guy over there, you know, that, that you know, whatever, the, the figure that's, you know, you're thinking is creating all the problems. No, it's a spiritual battle. You know, God has a plan for your children. But don't think that the devil doesn't as well. And we have to take this seriously because we love our children. What good is life, us doing well in life, if our children don't? That's got to be our priority, our relationship with our wife, our husband, our spouse. Make that strong. large part of it is because God wants to give us godly offspring. There is a generation that we must pass a baton of faith to. How can we do this if we are not praying for our children the way that we should? We need to protect them from the enemy of their souls. You know, we're, we're, we're dealing with demons. And so when you look at the people in this whole parent's prayer, you see the Lord Jesus, the disciples, the daughter, and then there's the mother, identified in verse 26, as a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. Matthew tells us the origin of her I guess where she was born was in, in Canaan. And so, you know, she's not a, a good Jewish woman. As a matter of fact, she's from Sin City. She's from Canaan. For those of you who studied the Old Testament, you know the depths of demonic depravity that came out of Canaan, the ways of wickedness in the countries of that realm. And so, 
You know, bottom line is, when you put it all together and looking at the details of this request, in one sense, this is about as bad as it gets. You know, Jesus wants no one to know where he is. Disciples want to get rid of her. They see her as a nuisance. Uh, she's just a sinner from, in those days, that's where Syria was located, a wicked and undeserving Canaanite. And it's not just that her daughter has, you know, the measles or something, right? She has a demon. And she's not just stressed by it or oppressed by it. She's possessed by it. And the Bible says in Matthew 15, 22, that she is severely possessed by it. And when you look at the way it's painted for us, uh, it's not pretty. But you want to know something, man? It's perfect for us. We need to see this. Because I'm sure there are some of you here today whose children are a million miles away from the will of God. And you might look at it and you might lose heart. And God wants to encourage you and remind and reinforce that truth that there is healing power in the faithful fight of a praying parent. And we must never forget that. There is no child beyond the salvation and sanctification of Jesus Christ, but we must pray. And I would say, even learn to pray the way this woman prayed. You know, when I read her story, she's an inspiration to, to us, and that's kind of a little ironic because in one sense, she was inspired by others to come to Jesus. Did you notice that there in verse 25? Notice again, it says, for a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him. She heard about him. Who knows, maybe any of you guys know how it is. Uh, I'm sure you know it's common knowledge wherever you live, they've got their, their witch doctors and you take you know, the demons there and whatever, Santeria, I mean, I guess everywhere, all this crazy stuff, right? Uh, another, probably another one of those testimonies of trying everything. And then she heard about Jesus and she found him. Even though he was hiding because she loved her daughter. And somehow she found it in her heart that there, he's within reach. And so... You know, you look at that situation and it's such a heavy situation, right? She's an inspiration to us because she had heard about what Jesus can do. Can I ask you a question today? Have you heard what God has done? Have you heard the testimonies? I mean, have you read the scriptures and have you ever studied church history? I mean, there was a young man who has a little boy. He couldn't remember a single night when he did not fall asleep without the last thing he remembered was his mom praying. And this same little boy said he could never recall a time waking up in the morning without the first thing he heard was his mother praying. That little boy eventually grew to be a man. He began to be a man of God, and his name is Chuck Smith, pastor of Calvary Chapel. And the movement of Calvary Chapel very well might be traced to the sovereignty of God working through a praying mom. You know, and then there's another mother. She had three children, but only two of them served the Lord. And some parents might think that's pretty good and might be content, but she wasn't. 
She had one son who was different. He was a teenager that was influenced by the loose living of his companions, drunkenness, sexual adventures. This young man was so bad that he looked his mom in the face and he said, there'd be no problem between us if you would just stop believing in God. But she didn't. She did not lose heart. She only prayed more and more and more and fasted and cried and cried and cried. If there was one thing this woman was known for, was the way that she would cry and weep while she prayed. One day, this mom, whose name was Monica, approached a spiritual leader who was known for his knowledge of the scriptures and his heart to talk to people about Jesus. And so she went up to him and she asked him to speak to her son, but he said no, he refused. And the reason he said no is he said, it cannot be that the son of these tears would ever perish. That man was right. Because every tear you cry is a liquid prayer. And not much later, her son named Augustine was saved. And he went on to become one of the greatest leaders in church history because of his mom. Have you heard? Have you heard about Pastor Chuck and his true testimony or Augustine, have you heard that these godly men are products of praying parents? Have you heard what God can do and what God will do if only, if only we will pray and yet we are so disobedient to God and his calling to pray. We think it's an option and yet it is vital. You know, centuries later on a Saturday afternoon, it was 1849, another mom was praying for the salvation of her only son. One day she was prompted by the Holy Spirit to leave her friends and just to be alone with God and she began to plead for his salvation and she did it for hours and hours and hours until finally that mother who was on her knees finally had it in her heart that God had heard her prayer. She was flooded with joy and sure enough by the time she arrived home her son Hudson Taylor shared with her how he had been converted. And he went on to change the world. They founded the China Inland Missions. Today it's known as the uh, OMF, uh, Overseas Missionary Fellowship. I got something in the mail today because there's a missions that we're involved in with them. It's amazing how it began. It began with the power of a praying parent. You know, when we look at this story right here and we have that Holy Spirit, you know, saving it for us, it's to encourage us to pray. You know, you look at it, it's not a pretty picture when you look at the people in this parent's prayer. But then secondly, we see the passion of this parent's prayer. She cried out to him. And we read in Matthew 15, 22, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Son of David, have mercy on me, O Lord. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. You know, and so I want to encourage you guys, when you pray, make sure you pray with passion, okay? Don't just go and you're chewing gum and you're thinking about the, the, where the Cubs win, hey, what's the score? And, you know, really focus and really, I, I encourage you to cry out. I think when you cry out, you shout, you know? It's a spiritual language where those prayers, they somehow rise higher because they have an origin that's deeper 
You know, it's the tears of a parent. You know, Amy Carmichael said, God always answers us in the deeps, never in the shallows. And I'm not sure how you are in this, but chances are if you're not crying, you're probably not trying, you know, because if we love our kids, uh, we will be brought to tears. I mentioned Monica uh, for Augustine. Another example, I think, is Hannah, who cried for Samuel. And you guys remember the story. She could have no children, and she cried out to God, so much so that 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 15 says that she poured out her soul. She poured out her soul that God would give her a child. And at the end of the day, we really want to be able to say what she said in 1 Samuel 1, 27, for this child I prayed. Can you say that? I pray that we could and we have to cry out. We have to do it with passion. The people in the parents' prayer, we see the passion of the parents' prayer. And then we see, thirdly, the persistence of this parents' prayer. Look, if you would, at verse 27 here in Mark chapter 7. But Jesus said to her, Let the little children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. If you look at this passage right here, look again at verse 26. This woman was a Greek, of Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him. Have you ever done that? I mean, where God lays something on your heart? And I wonder how it works for all of you guys that are here. I wonder if you have a list, you know, that you, you know, to me, what I remember when we started the Christian ID, I was challenging all those that were involved. I said, you got to get serious in your prayer life. And, you know, uh, I know uh, some of them did. I said, maybe write things down. And, and even, well, they're like, well, what do you pray about? Pray for what you should pray about. Because I don't know about you, but when I get in my prayer closet, an hour goes by like that. I don't have enough time to pray for the pastors and the overseers and the ministries and the things that are going on in the bulletin or to pray for my wife and my kid. If I only gave them five minutes, that only be, if I gave them five minutes, which is nothing, that's 15 minutes gone just like that. What about me? What about my sins? What about the struggles that we have? What about our country? And people don't pray. Too busy to pray. What's more important? She just kept asking. She was persistent in her prayers. She was passionate. It was just so cool to see the way that nothing would stop her from praying. You know, I believe part of the reason this is chronicle for us as Christians is because if you really, you know, take a look at your prayer life, I think we can relate to the various stages of the way that she wrestled in prayer. How many of you here, when you pray, have you ever felt like God that didn't hear, like there's silence. I mean, have you ever felt that way? You know, if you would, let's go back to, to Matthew uh, chapter 15. And we have the account here. Look at verse 23, you know, uh, she's, you know, asking him for mercy and he answered her, not a word, verse 23. I mean, how many of you would, would, not a word? I mean, some lady comes up to you and says, hey, you know, Pastor Manny, can you help my daughter? Not a word? Not a word. Jesus didn't say a word to her. You know, a lot of times when we pray, uh, um, we, know we don't hear anything right away. You know, and here's the bottom line. 
Many people do not go beyond that. Well, they might say, well, I tried praying, nothing happened. God was silent in his response, so I'm done praying. But, but she wasn't done, huh? I mean, she kept praying and she kept wrestling, even though it felt like her prayers were bouncing off the walls. You know, and then when you read verse 24 right here, he answered and said in Matthew 15, 24, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I mean, when you read that right there, it sounds to me like God's saying no. No, I mean, first, you know, I'm going to Israel. And when you look at the, the ministry of Jesus Christ, you do see the priorities there. The Lord was sent to Israel because as Israel gets saved, then they were supposed to spread the gospel to the Gentiles, right? Just like today, you know, we help those in the church. Jesus is dealing with his church. If his church gets right, then there's hope because we can be salt and light in this world that we live in, right? And so um, that's why even judgment begins in the house of God because God begins here. And so, you know, when you, know, you read this answer, sorry, I can't go, you're a Syrophoenician, Canaanite, Gentile, you know, Greek, I, I can't help you. It's, it's almost like he's saying no, but she caught on to one word, first. Hey, it's okay, Lord, if they're first, it ain't no thing, I'll be second, you know. It did not stop her from praying. But no, Lord, I, I know your heart. And here's the thing that I want to tell you about your children. Because we're not talking about, well, whether or not, you know, because we're praying for that building right there in Daleview and Lower Azusa. It's a little expensive, but it's not too expensive for God, right? And so we're praying for that building. It might not be God's will. We don't know. We'll pray for it. But I'll tell you what, God's will for your kids, there is no doubt about it salvation, sanctification, ministry, greatness for the glory of God. You can stand on that. Lord, I know your heart. You want my child to be saved in right relationship with you. And if there is any demonic presence in their life, God, I know that you do not want that. And I will wrestle in prayer for my children. You know, you want them to see. You want them to be demon-free. And I know in this challenge for my children, you do not want me to take no for an answer. You know, before we go back to Mark, notice here in verse 25 what she did. After all this, you know, silence and, and like no, notice what she did. She came and worshipped him. She came and worshipped, man. I mean, when you read that right there, in spite of the lack of success up to that point, I tell you what, this, this woman is an example to us. Trust God. Worship him. Go to him on behalf of your children. If you go back to Mark chapter 7, one other thing that, that kind of gets in the way, first, it seems like silent, second, it seems like he said no, but, you know, he would never say no to your godly requests on behalf of your children. But then thirdly, it, it almost seems like things got worse. <laughs> Look at Mark chapter 7 and verse 27. But Jesus said to her, let the little children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. How many of you here would have clocked out at that point? You would have said, man, he just called me a dog, you know? <laughs> 
Now, it's important for you to know that uh, there were different words for dogs. One of them was very derogatory. The one that Jesus used here, it wasn't. It was, uh, it was uh, one that would be referred to as one you could hold in your arms, like it was like a little puppy, right? And so what Jesus is saying here is, is not a derogatory statement. You know, what he's saying is that, you know, there's a priority here. I'm sent to Israel, and you've got to know that priority when it comes to ministry, Right? And I, and I don't know about you, just as a quick side note, but so much of life is us taking things the wrong way. You know, you might read that sentence and you might hear it as an offense, but, you know, she doesn't even get, you know, stumbled in the slightest by this. It doesn't hinder her in the least. I mean, I mean in one sense, some say that he's, she's just blessed that he's talking to her now and she doesn't mind being called a little puppy uh, she is there for her daughter and will not allow anything to move her. So she says in verse 28, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. And so you look at this whole progress and first silence, second no, third it seems like things are getting worse. You know, sometimes you're praying for things and it seems like they're getting worse, but man, God's on the throne. He's testing you. Will you still pray? You may not hear God, yet in the initial stages, you've got to know that he hears you. Understand that. He hears your prayers. You know, don't believe the lie that God has a plan for every one of your children except for this one. No, he wants them all to be in right relationship with him. And yes, we're undeserving, we're kind of like little puppies, but in God's grace, we see that he gives us the crumbs from the table, and even that is sufficient. And so she kept praying with persistence. And so what ends up happening in verse 29, then he said to her, for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. She said, yes, Lord. I, I, how many of you guys have dogs that you feed under the table? I just had a curiosity. Do you guys ever do that? You know, you're, I, I remember, it's been a long time, but I remember being in, in the, around the dinner table, and you're like, oh, I don't know, you know, if I want this. Or maybe it's just because you love your dog, you know, and you're like, oh, you know, have a little bit of this, even though they don't want me to give. You know, our dog Chip, for the most part, he's always had dog food. We've kind of had this rule, no, no good, you know, meat, unless we're out of dog food, you know, and... That's why he's so old. He's so old now. He's actually very healthy for his age. I think he's, what, 15, 14 years old. And that in dog years, that's a lot, right? So anyways, but every once in a while, you know, we'll give him some food from the table. And we know we do that sometimes, right? And that's what she says. Yeah, we might not be the children that are eating that meal right there, but Lord, even the dogs, they get, because in those days, what they would do, they didn't have napkins, and so they would actually wipe their hands on the bread. That was their napkin, and then they would give that to the to the little dogs. And she says, I just need some crumbs. That's all. If you, Lord, would give me some crumbs, my whole world will change. And, and it's so cool. You know, the Lord, you know what's interesting? The New Living Translation, this is what it says. It says, it's funny. It says that Jesus said, good answer. <laughs> good answer, you know? And, and it sounds to me, when you look at that whole thing, like she was being tested. And I have a strange feeling that many parents do not pass these tests in the school of life and prayer and parenting. 
You know, it's interesting. When Jesus healed the daughter, we don't see him even speaking it. He just thought it. <laughs> he just thought it. This is the only time in the book of Mark where Jesus does something like this at a distance without even speaking a word. He just thinks it. Boom. Demon's gone. It's not a problem for him. And, and that's why we have to know that. We have to go to him in, in prayer. Maybe you're here today as a parent, and I, and I know, some of you, you know what your responsibility is, and you neglected it. And so I don't need to tell you what to do. You, need, you know what you need to do. But some of you here, maybe you're like, well, I'm new to this. I don't know what to pray. Uh, and just realize, first of all, the importance of praying for your children. Learn that from this lady, and learn the importance of never give, giving up. You know, I don't know exactly what you'll pray. I read of one well-known pastor who said there are seven things to pray for. Another said there's ten. Another lady who was encouraging the women to pray 31 things for their kids. I don't know. God will show you, right? But, um, you know, as you go to the Lord, you know, you begin to ask him for guidance. Maybe you'll write your prayers down. You know, I remember one time I had written down the prayers for my wife, my daughter, not my son. And so one morning I woke up, four in the morning, I'm just there writing the prayer for my son, and uh, it was just crazy. I hear some footsteps down the hallway. And I'm like, who's that? It was my son. He had gotten up at four in the morning. Now, when does a kid wake up at four in the morning? Never. <laughs> and as I was writing that prayer for him, I realized, Lord, when I pray for my kids, they wake up. It's just crazy the way that God teaches us so many things. As I said earlier, other than living the life, I don't know what's more important in life than praying for your children. You know, I remember I told you guys a, a story, because, you know, bottom line is, you're like, well, children's ministry will take care of it. It's not their responsibility. Yeah, we'll do the best that we can. Oh, they go to a Christian school. That's cool. That, it's not their responsibility. It's your responsibility to live it and, and to pray for them. Remember I told you guys a story a while back, I was walking through the sanctuary right here in between services, and I saw a piece of trash on the ground. And so, like Chuck Smith normally does, I, I learned from him, and I picked it up, right? And, and, then, and I picked it up, I picked up that piece of trash, and I found it to be a toothpick wrapped in its plastic wrapper. It was sealed secure. Have you guys ever seen those little toothpicks wrapped in the clear plastic? Well, that's what I picked it up, right? And uh, I thought, well, this is strange. I've never seen a toothpick right here on the floor before. But I put it in my pocket and I eventually forgot about it afterwards, uh, the second service. I was in the office and my daughter, Ariel, she came in and it seemed like something was really wrong. Something was bothering her. So she came to me and she said, Dad, I need dental floss. I need dental floss really bad. And I told her, um, yeah, I have some back there in the, in the closet. I told her where it was and she said, I went in and I checked it already, you don't have any. And so she was really bummed out, right? I guess she had some pretty gnarly stuff in her teeth. And so, um, <laughs> but then I remembered. I remembered. I said, hey, I have a toothpick in my pocket. And so I reached in and I, and I gave her the toothpick. And then she picked, you know, with the toothpick, all the gnarly stuff out. And then she just smiles and she walks away, right? Just blown away. I was blown away. I'm like, well, look at how personal God is that I knew my daughter would get something stuck in her teeth. She knew we were out of dental floss back there, and he puts a toothpick right there for me to pick up and put in my pocket and give to her. And so as I was going through that whole story later, I, 
I did ask the Lord. I said, but Lord, just as, I'm just curious. Why didn't she find the toothpick? I mean, she was the one that, that needed it, right? And wouldn't it make more sense to, to deal with her directly? And then the Lord, he just said to me, no, because you're her dad. You're her dad. And I want to work through your life to bless your children. And when we look at this Syrophoenician woman right here and how important it is to pray for our kids, I think of Job. Remember the book of Job, chapter 1? Blameless, upright, shunned God, feared evil. And you look at Job, and the only thing that they said about him, that the, whole, the one thing they said about him was that he would wake up every morning and pray for his children. See, and that's what we need to do, you guys. Have you embraced that as a parent wholeheartedly, passionately? You know, there's a lot to parenting, but a lot of that lot is going to be our prayers for them. Now, as I mentioned earlier, it might not be a child you're praying for, but no matter who or what it is that's heavy on your heart, I do pray that you would take the principles and just love your neighbor on your knees. The devil will allow you to do everything else and anything else but pray. So not with some legalistic burden, but what I would encourage you guys to do as a loving blessing is you begin to pray the way that you should, and then you watch what God will do in your life. And just in case you're here today and maybe you don't know the Lord, Maybe you've been struggling or, you know, you're not sure where you stand in relationship with God. I'll, I'll bet you almost anything that somebody has been praying for you and that's why you're here. Because Jesus loves you and he died for you and he wants you to know his freedom and his forgiveness and he will break the chains that the demons are trying to bind you with if you would but let him. Today I would pray that if there is anyone here in that situation that you would make a decision right here, right now to yield your life to Jesus Christ. It's the best decision you'll ever make. He died for you. He rose again. And the Bible says that as you place your faith in him and you choose to follow him and you make him the Lord and savior of your life, then he will save you.